Can you say that last sentence you cut out? I don't remember what the last sentence was. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the AWC City Voice podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington cities. I'm Emma Shepard. We're doing our best to dust off 2020 and hit the ground running in 2021 with a new legislative session. We have Candace, Carl, and Sharon here, our AWC lobbyist team, working to represent our 281 cities and towns at the state legislature. Welcome, everyone. I'm going to hop right in. What do we know about session so far? Well, uh, it's unlike any other. I think that's the understatement of um, the new year, the one that everybody's been using uh, this session was always going to be unusual. And the fact that it's going to be held remotely um, really is uh, unprecedented. Uh, another word that's been overused and is probably an understatement. So um, despite that virtual and uh, approach that nobody is entirely sure how it's going to work out yet, they have a pretty big set of priorities that they want to tackle or have to tackle this session. Yeah, it's interesting that the, uh, you know, this change to a virtual format has gotten all of the folks who work around the legislature, um, you know, really um, starting anew almost. I mean, I'm getting calls from um, lobbyists who've been around for 20 or 30 years asking, you know, how do how do I think it's going to work? And, you know, what are you hearing about this or that? And, you know, the systems have been set in um, somewhat stone for so long to have such a major um, shift in how the just the process is going to work is going to be very interesting. So it's going to take much longer to process bills. Um, you know, doing even the the general stuff like a roll call on the floor could take considerably longer. So there's going to be in an environment where there's already a lot of pinch points where bills, you know, um, have to struggle to stay alive. Those are going to be expanded this year. So I'm, I'm at least expecting more focus on a smaller number of bills, although there's you know, there's always that question of whether that comes to pass and whether the prioritization that the members are being asked to make will will make it all the way through the session. Yeah, one thing I'm focusing on, uh, echoing Carl and Candace's points, um, is that we're all in the same boat. We don't exactly know how this is going to unfold, and I expect things will probably change as we progress through session, just sort of based on the climate and based on how things are working. Um, so, just reminding myself and, and all of our colleagues, we'll just have to be patient and we're all in the same boat and we'll get through it together. It presents an interesting opportunity, I think, for our cities who are not you know, physically close enough to Olympia to come down frequently, where they will have both remote testimony opportunities as well as maybe more access to their members um, than they would in a normal year. Um, you know, scheduling a, a Zoom meeting and being able to have that at least visual interaction will be something new for folks. Being able to actually potentially testify from um, afar will be new. Um, on the other hand, there will be um, quite a lot more public access as well. You know, members of the public um, have a much easier time to sign in and express their opinions on these bills. And that's another thing that's sort of yet to be seen, how how much of a difference that makes. Is there really an outcry of interest from the general public in testifying on individual bills? If there is, that's going to complicate and kind of exacerbate that challenge of getting enough input to move bills through the process. Moving on to our five city legislative priorities for this year, can you give us a quick rundown of what we're focusing on for cities? 
Of course, we've got these pretty well down by now. Um, and of uh, for our audience, they can find this information on our website, wastities.org. Uh, the first one I'll mention is transportation. Uh, AWC has identified a statewide transportation package as a priority for this year, something that addresses both statewide and local needs um, with a focus on the need for preservation and maintenance dollars um, for funding directly to cities as well as through programs like the Transportation Improvement Board and additional local transportation funding options. Cities are pretty limited in the ability to raise transportation dollars locally. So uh, we're talking with uh, transportation leaders about some additional options. Um, there are definitely going to be some competing transportation proposals out there this session. So a lot of uh, a lot of conversation will happen about that particular priority. Another priority is um, housing stability <clears throat> with the, uh, the COVID pandemic and the economic disruption that's been created, particularly in certain industries. Um, we've seen some really concerning statistics coming out of the U.S. Census about, you know, almost one in four renters in the state of Washington at various times of the summer having little to no confidence that they would be able to repay their or to pay their next month's rent and 10% of homeowners, you know, being within two months of uh, foreclosure. So real concerns about what would happen if the state doesn't work to address those um, impacts. We know that we have a, um, a homeless system, for instance, in a state that does not have the capacity to serve um, the existing homeless population, let alone if there was a massive influx as a result of not um, taking action to stabilize um, the housing needs in the community. So we're focusing on that in a couple of different ways. One, supporting direct rental assistance. Um, the federal government um, in their uh, second COVID package passed a significant amount of uh, rental assistance. It should um, come to somewhere in the $500 million range for the state of Washington. But we know that already the rents that are in arrears are over a um, billion dollars coming into the next, uh, throughout the course of the year. And so you know, even that won't be enough to address the full impact. So we're hoping that the state will work with us to uh, enhance rental assistance resources, as well as creating some processes to help people who find themselves in these difficult situations. So foreclosure counseling, uh, eviction, um, mediation and dispute resolution and civil legal aid are other elements that we're working on on housing stability. We also have, a, have several priorities that will be addressing police reform. Uh, as our listeners know, uh, cities uh, employ 61% of the uniformed law enforcement officers in the state. So we have a big role uh, in this conversation around police reform. And while we are continuing and will continue to protect local decision-making, we've taken kind of a, a different approach on this topic, which is to ask the state really to set some statewide standards so that we can address use of force uh, we can address the grounds for decertification of a law enforcement officer. Um, we want some uniformity there across the state, but that also protects our local jurisdictions um, ability to do more than the state mandates, not less. Um, and so that's going to be a focus, uh, a big focus on the police reform conversation. Additionally, we want to make sure that we have appropriate amounts of mental health supports for our law enforcement officers. They have very difficult, stressful jobs. And so we want to make sure that they are being supported as well. Additionally, we anticipate there will be some training mandates that come out of these reform conversations. And so a major goal is to make sure that the appropriate amount of resources are dedicated so that we can get officers trained, we can put them out in, in an environment where they can be successful, but we need to be sure that we have the resources to have officers trained. We need to make sure that we can backfill those positions in our smaller departments 
so that when we take officers off the street so that they can receive their training, that we're not creating unintended consequences for our locals. We want to push back on any unfunded mandates and make sure that we have appropriate levels of resources so that we can have our officers trained in a timely fashion um, and that we put them in the best position so that they can be successful. Our last two priorities are related and they're really um uh, on the list because of the budget challenges right now with the economic downturn and economic uncertainty from the pandemic. Uh, they are continuation and protection of the state shared revenues um, that are so important to the continuity of city budgets. Those are things like the shared liquor revenues, shared cannabis revenues, criminal justice assistance account funding. It's really some critical um, dollars that come from the state to cities to support key basic uh, city functions, um, community needs. So anytime that there are budget challenges, we are particularly watchful that the legislature doesn't look to cut those state shared revenues as a way to balance their own budget. Uh, and then the second, and, and I guess actually the, the final fifth priority, but second part of that fiscal package is fiscal flexibility. We're asking the legislature to grant cities some temporary uh, flexibility with existing restricted revenues. So this is no new funding, but it is allowing cities some flexibility with some existing revenue sources that will help you um, as you're trying to balance your budgets, fill in some gaps. Um, so an example is real estate excise tax. That is a, a restricted revenue that is primarily used for capital construction. Uh, and under this proposal, for the next couple of years, cities could use those dollars more for maintenance and operations, uh, again, to help that gap right now while we're dealing with this uncertain economic period period and budget downturns. So Emma, those are our five uh, legislative priorities. Again, our audience can find more information about all of those on our website, wascities.org. Uh, what other organizations are we partnering with to further the odds that our priorities gain momentum? AWC is a good collaborator. We work with a lot of different uh, organizations, stakeholder groups, kind of depending on the issue. On um, those fiscal pieces that I mentioned, we're really strongly partnered with the Association of Counties um, as we've got shared interest and similar experiences there and, and similar taxation. Um, on transportation, there's a large group of stakeholders uh, that we're communicating with uh, to push the idea that the state needs to address transportation in a holistic way. So um, a, lot of, a lot of stakeholders involved in those conversations, and I'm sure for Carl and Sharon, it's uh, similar. Yeah, for my purposes, <clears throat> sorry, this is Carl, the, the housing um, universe has a, a wide variety of stakeholders on our particular um, priorities this year around rental assistance, obviously the Low Income Housing Alliance is a, a key partner, a group that we've worked with well over the years. Um, within the foreclosure assistance uh, arena, there's a, a really well-functioning work group uh, that includes the lending industry, the banks, the credit unions, et cetera, as well as home counsel uh, foreclosure counselors and um, tenant advocates or, or homeowner advocates. Um, and that's that's a group that's been in existence for probably six to eight years and does a really good job of trying to work through thorny issues and finding common ground. Um, so, you know, Candace is right across all of the issues, not just our priorities. Um, you know, it's really important for cities to work with our partners. We do so much better when we can lock arms and present a joint, um, you know, approach to the to the legislature. So we look for opportunities, um, you know, daily on that front. 
And this is Sharon. Yeah, working on the police reform uh, priorities, working very closely with our chiefs. Uh, so our friends at WASPIC have been incredibly helpful. Uh, we also, I'm also working with our risk managers, um, wanting to make sure that we have our liability bases covered and that we're not making things more difficult in our effort to make things better. Um, and additionally, we do touch base with our friends in the counties and then also working with the um, Municipal Attorneys Association, getting their expertise on some of these topics and making sure that our city attorney family also has a chance to, to review uh, what we're working on. Um, and additionally, you know, touching base with a lot of different groups. There's a, several coalition groups advocating for police reform. So we're making sure that we're in touch with them and hearing what their interests are and then working with our friends um, who are in rank and file law enforcement officers as well. And we may not agree on every topic, but we definitely wanna reach out and find agreement where we can and make sure that technically we're doing the correct thing as we, we try and grapple with a very difficult topic. As we know, the main purpose of the long sessions in odd years, the 105 day session is to adopt a budget. So what's the state's budget outlook and what can cities expect? You know, I feel like a broken record every time we get to a budget session in the last 10 years, at least that I've been working for AWC, we talk about budget challenges. The state has budget challenges. There's a budget downturn. There's a budget shortfall. Um, and, you know, in February of 2020, I thought maybe we wouldn't be using those descriptive terms for 2021. Um, and then March 2020 happened in the pandemic. Um, and suddenly we were right back where we started. Um, the, I guess the good news is in June, the revenue forecast was dire. They were looking at a $9 billion loss of revenue uh, as a result of the um, pandemic economic recession. And that has steadily improved. So as we go into this budget cycle, um, they're looking at a, a shortfall of about $2.5 billion dollars for the operating budget. Um, that's when you consider what they would need or what they say they need to do maintenance level funding. Just keep doing what they're doing for the most part. Um, clearly they can't get away with just continuing to do what they've always done because they've got a bunch of new needs like um, responding to COVID and the pandemic and needing, uh, wanting and needing to provide the housing assistance that Carl talked about, business assistance, um, uh, you know, the just funding, getting the vaccine distribution and helping the public health departments around our state respond. So they've got a lot of new needs that they're going to have to address, um, as well as their own goals that they, um, you know, particularly uh, those um, in the majority want to see happen. Um, things like supporting childcare, uh, doing more in broadband. Um, so the it's again going to be a challenging budget uh, cycle where they don't have as much revenue as they thought they did. Um, they've got uh, outstanding needs and emergency needs. Um, there's also a group of legislators who really are interested in changing this revenue picture in our state. Um, Washington is all often uh, identified as one of the most uh, regressive states when it comes to our taxation. And there are a number of legislators who would like to change that direction and explore a more progressive revenue. It's actually one of the policy statements that AWC has adopted as well as looking for opportunities at both state and local level for less regressive revenue options. So, um, you know, I think that's going to color the budget uh, discussions as well. 
the governor introduced his budget proposals at the end of December. We've got, again, information about those on our website. And the legislature will really start to tackle, I think, those budget discussions, debates um, after the next revenue forecast, which comes out in February. Uh, so again, broken record, it's going to be a challenging budget uh, cycle. Um, they've got budget shortfalls uh, it's in certain economic times, and it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, to add to Candace's point and then move into the capital budget situation, the the challenge that I think we're going to have uh, as cities in this budget environment where the state is both um, constrained in terms of doing their old book of business and then trying to expand into new areas is how do we um, reinforce the value of what has uh, historically been provided to cities. So there's state shared revenues around uh, marijuana revenue sharing and criminal justice assistance and some of those things that could, um, you know, look to um, certain eyes as as um, opportunities to shift resources into these new areas. And, and obviously there's a lot of value in what um, folks want to expand the scope of the state's investment into, but it doesn't uh, need to, and nor do we want it to come at the expense of some of the basics, um, whether that be basic infrastructure or um, those state shared revenues. On the capital budget side, um, the governor took kind of an interesting approach, which could present an opportunity for cities potentially if the legislature follows um, that path, which was to have a relatively larger capital budget as an economic stimulus measure. Um, that allowed him to make larger investments, for instance, in Public Works Trust Fund. Um, some of the um, other infrastructure programs like Centennial Clean Water are really healthy. Um, and, you know, that could present an opportunity for cities to get some of these projects that we've been um, backed up on uh, funded. Now, the question is, um, you know, does the legislature do that? And there's a lot of complicating factors on, on how far that goes. But the, the capital budget situation, at least as it um, stands with the governor's proposal, is is in pretty. I would just one last thought on the budget, and it's around transportation. Um, the transportation budget, of course, is a separate budget. And I mentioned during the priorities that a new statewide transportation package is a priority for AWC. Uh, there are um, going to be some different proposals introduced uh, around that. There is a shortfall in the transportation operating budget, um, pandemic driven in a large part, um, as people aren't going anywhere, they're not buying gas, um, so they're not paying gas tax, they're not driving over bridges, so they're not paying tolls. Um, so they're facing a, a shortfall in revenue as well, just to keep um, the state's kind of basic transportation budget going. So they're going to have some hard conversations there about balancing that budget, as well as looking ahead to that statewide transportation package um, that everybody's interested in seeing. The good news in the transportation budget is it would have been worse um, with I-976 or the $30 car tab initiative being overturned um, as unconstitutional that actually improves the transportation budget outlook. Um, they were looking at a large loss of revenue if that initiative um, had been implemented. So uh, it's a smaller loss, but um, still a difficult one to deal with. Yeah, and again, to continue the conversation on transportation briefly, one of the challenges that we've been working on for years as the state looks to the future on transportation is how, how to get... Um, engaged in a meaningful way in the solution for fish passage. The state is um, 
you know, on the hook from a uh, U.S. Supreme Court decision to make billions of dollars of investment uh, in culverts to help uh, endangered fish get where they need to go. And we know that cities and counties and private parties own the same types of infrastructure that presents challenges in those same streams. And we've been working for almost 10 years to, um, you know, create a comprehensive and strategic approach to that where city barriers can be part of the solution and, and that the state can help us finance those because we know that there are uh, the needs far outpace our ability to pay for them right now. And, um, you know, whenever this new transportation package um, really um, gets traction, whether that's this year or next year, that's going to be a critical piece for us in addition to the individual projects and the types of programs that we always support as the city family, um, convincing the state not to leave you all um, holding the bag with a billion dollar um, price tag and no support is going to be a really critical push um, and that we're, you know, doing our best to be prepared for and to set us up for success on that front. Session is normally at breakneck speed to fit everything into three to four months. Um, as we know, it'll be remote and online. How do you guys think that will impact session and will it make it busier or less busy than years before? Or what are you hearing? Well, I have a prediction. This is Sharon. So I'll just throw it out there. I think it's either going to be um, a really short session because they're going to find the process so frustrating that they're going to pass what they need to and go home. Or it's going to be slow because everything's just going to take longer and, and the session may take longer. Um, so that's my prediction. Completely opposite. And you can hold me hold me to that. All right. We'll get a pool going later. That's um, like the uh, weather. <laughs> it's kind of like the weather forecaster saying there's a 50% chance of rain. It either will or it won't. Huh? <laughs> my uh, my uh, worry is that, it, you know, it will actually be much um more intense uh, from a daily perspective because the, as we've experienced with Zoom meetings over the last year, not having to travel, not having to, you know, build in time in between meetings to get places. Um, I don't know what your experience has been, but my calendar has been, you know, very busy. You don't have to drive, um, you know, to Seattle and spend two and a half hours on the road to have one meeting. Um, and I, I wonder if that will apply into the legislative context. To your point, um, you know, about how different it's going to be, though, the the whole process is really human oriented and, and people oriented and seeing people and having five minute conversations or 30 second conversations. Um, I, I'm struggling to imagine how that's going to work um, in a Zoom context. And, and you know, are we going to be scheduling meetings um, to have those really short conversations? Um, I don't know what the alternative is. It's going to be an interesting session. Yeah, I think um, maybe it's giving away our trade secrets, but um one of the things lobbyists do a lot of is stand around in the hallways and it's really productive. <laughs> um, you get a lot of work done that way, standing around, um, talking to your colleagues who are also working on your, you know, your same shared interest, running into legislators, having a quick 10 second conversation, even um, as people are running from one hearing to the next um, or one meeting to the next. So I just have no idea like how we um, how we do this work, not standing around in those hallways all day long. Um, it's going to be really, really different. I, I think like every session, though, it's going to have breakneck periods and periods of um, slow, methodical uh, process. And I, I don't know when and where those are coming at us, but I think it'll it's going to be like the weather in Carl's analogy. It's going to be a mixed bag. Right. Uh, so. It's, um, I have no predictions. I, this is Sharon again. I'm particularly 
As to floor action, I think that's going to be really interesting because the committee meeting structure, you have seven, nine, 10 people in front of you. And, and, and that's, I think we're all used to that, just living in the Zoom format. But when you have, you know, uh, you know, dozens of members, hundreds of members on the floor, all debating an issue, I think that's going to be quite interesting to, to see and also maybe to follow. So that, that will definitely uh, TBD on how that works out. There's also just an energy to session that I think is going to be missed. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of work. It's really intense. Uh, certainly, there are moments that are frustrating, but it's also just a lot of fun. And everyone is kind of of the same mind. We're all a little bit, um, I don't know if disturbed is the right word, because this is what we choose to do and love to do. And we're passionate about it. So I, I definitely am going to miss seeing people, uh, seeing legislators, seeing fellow lobbyists. Um, I'm also just really going to miss the energy of, of the session. But my hope is uh, glass, glass half full. And my hope is that um, all of this absence will make us appreciate each other once we are able to be back together again. Legislators have been advised to narrow their focus this year to bills that are related to the pandemic, economic recovery, racial equity, and other urgent priorities in 2021. What do you think about our own legislative priorities and how do they fall under the state's most urgent priorities? I think the good news for our priorities is they are really aligned with the, the guidance that has been provided to legislators about um, what's important to them, things that are related to economic recovery, COVID response. Um, so I think we're we're well positioned in that sense. You know, every year you kind of hear some rumblings about, oh, are they going to introduce less bills this year? Um, you know, this is one of the first years where I've seen at least some of the caucuses actually provide guidance to their members to try to get them to be more targeted in the kinds and number of bills that they're introducing. To be honest, I'm not that optimistic that there will be fewer bills introduced um, throughout the process. I think, though, based on what you've heard from us um, already, there's going to be fewer bills that get through this process. They just can't, uh, they can't get as much done in this environment um, as they might be able to do while they're meeting in person. In some ways, just because it's harder to negotiate bills, um, you know, it's when you can get people in a room together, uh, there's something different than just meeting in via Zoom. Um, so I think that will uh, slow them up a little bit on some of the more complicated topics. Um, well, again, we'll wait and see how it works out. But I think we're well positioned that our priorities align well with their priorities. Yeah, I would agree. As you know, I think um, Sharon's police reform um, work, for instance, is is the type of thing that there's a lot of attention and interest in that um, you know s squarely fits within those um, priorities. Uh, similarly, I think the housing stability um, efforts, in terms of a a response to the pandemic, for instance, I've um, you know I've actually started to see some evidence of it. Um, the limitation coming to pass, and maybe this is wishful thinking because we got a long ways to go, but um, if, I've had more meetings with legislators where they've just announced right up front that they don't think the bill is ready for ready for action and isn't going to pass in 2021. Um, normally, they would wait to tell you that a little bit longer or wait for some you know impediment to come forward that can't be overcome, but they're just starting out of the gate you know, saying, we're not going to pass this bill. We want to get started, but it's not going to happen. Um, to me, it's seems like it's happening a little more frequently this year. Yeah, th I echo what Carl said about police reform. It, it's definitely a, a priority issue this year for the state to address. So we'll be, uh, we'll be spending a great deal of time on that. But additionally, I'm going to be working on some other issues, including childcare, which I think falls in line with the uh, the issue or the the sub 
subjects that have been raised. This is an economic recovery issue for a lot of people, um, you know, being able to have appropriate childcare so they can get back to work and, and their children can, can get back to school. Um, I'm also gonna be working on equity as it relates to cannabis issues. Um, there is a task force right now looking at the topic of creating greater equity in the cannabis market and uh, cities have a, a seat at that table. So I think that's also gonna be a topic that will, that will come up that will touch upon the subject matters that have been called out. So to echo what Candace said, I think our priorities and our interests uh, align very closely. And then outside of our specific um, organizational priorities, there's there's certainly a lot of issues that are important to cities that are fit within that uh, rubric. And I'm thinking uh, right now about um, land use and zoning and how do you engage members of the community who haven't participated in those processes um, as um you know, much historically, and you know, what is it going to take for cities to hear that input, and and how do we um, start to work against or work back from some of the negative implications of um, you know some of those decisions that have happened over the last eighty years, and to to rebuild and, and enhance um, equitable op opportunities to um, be members of our cities, and so that is going to be um, you know a challenging conversation in some senses because it. Um, it can be seen at least to, to run counter to the local control perspective that many um, cities hold. And so threading that needle to find a way to maintain local discretion and decision-making while also making progress on some of these big issues is going to be a long conversation. We like to point out that our city leaders have a unique position to get involved with the elected officials at the state level. So how can our city members get involved from afar? I mean, that's a great question and it's so important. Um, our city officials really need to make themselves heard during the legislative process. The city voice is so important in these conversations. And as we mentioned earlier, um, this is kind of a unique opportunity to be able to engage maybe in ways that folks couldn't before because they couldn't travel to Olympia during session. So we'll be putting out more information with um, as we're, we're all figuring it out, but the legislative website is going to have the ability for people to sign up to testify in committees remotely, obviously, and there's not going to be any kind of limitations then on tra with travel. Um, so more people will be able to testify, and we really encourage city officials to take advantage of that opportunity to testify. Um, if you are planning to testify in a bill, let us know. Um, so that we can coordinate all of our testimony from our city officials and from AWC. And then as always, just um, schedule those meetings with your legislators or give them a call. If you have that kind of relationship, just pick up the phone and uh, uh, give them a call and let them know what your city priorities are, um, what's important to your community. Talk to them about AWC's priorities. Uh, I think they, um, they're figuring this out too. So you've probably, as city officials have more experience meeting remotely than they do at this point because city council meetings have had to be remote since March. Uh, so, you know, just reach out to them, schedule the meetings, make the phone calls, send them a text message. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is since they don't necessarily need to travel to Olympia either, that they're still going to be home in district. And you may have an opportunity to um, run into them uh, you know, uh, in your community or with a mask on and physically distanced, of course, but, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a physically distanced meetup in a parking lot somewhere. Um, you know, they're still going to be around most likely, and that may make it easier for you to talk with them during session than it would be if they were in Olympia. 
I want to make a pitch because um, you are fellow elected officials. And so you're going to have a perspective that is somewhat unique because you're talking to another elected official. So you can talk to them about, you know, the unique challenges of, of their budget or their constituents. Um, so your input from a city perspective is invaluable in that sense. You have that that perspective, but you also share uh, some of those um, interests as a fellow elected official. And as Candace said, we are always um, looking for folks to testify on panels or to represent the city perspective. Um, and so reach out to us as well if you have a particular interest in a topic or, or a bill that we're working on. Um, and that way we can keep that in mind. So that's it for our City Voice podcast. Thanks for joining me today, you guys. For the rest of you, you can stay tuned to our information on Legislative Bulletin on Mondays. We try to get it out before 5 p.m., fingers crossed. Um, but look for it every Monday. It's got everything you need to know about what's going on on the Hill and feel free to reach out to us anytime. <laughs>